Good morning and happy Easter. Happy Easter. My name is Julie, and uh, today's scripture reading is Mark chapter 14, verses 26 to 31. And I invite you to open your Bibles and read along with me. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crawls twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. This is God's word. Well, good morning. Thank you all for being here. This is, this is so sweet, bringing your energy and enthusiasm and intensity. Um, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful after what we've been through just to, to be in the presence of others like this, to, to hear the celebrations and to see people, uh, some that are new to us, some that we've known for a long time and we love dearly, um, and just to be together, uh, it just, it's really powerful. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, it's really good. My name's Andrew, and I'm one of the pastors, so those of you who are visiting, uh, that's who I am. Pray with me. Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer, and we can trust that today. Uh, We can trust that you rolled away the rock so that uh, you could burst forth forth from the grave, and we could celebrate today uh, the power that you have, life over death. And so we do that. Help us to do that well as we think through your words in Scripture that you've shared with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I think, uh, as I was counting back, I think this is about my, my 21st Easter sermon. And uh, if you count the times that I've also done sunrise and normal service, then I think it's probably in the low 30s, something like that. The, one of the most interesting times I ever preached an Easter sermon was when the senior pastor called me the night before and said that he was sick. So we had all these people coming, and, and I was pretty new to this whole pastoring thing, and so I just had a few hours to put together a, uh, a sermon, uh, and I remember it was, it was brutal uh, that morning, and I remember I made some joke about, I was, we, we wore suits on Easter then, I made some joke about the suit I was wearing, it was like the only one that I had, and uh, it was a really dumb joke, which is what happens when you're, you know, preparing the night before, and, uh, and, and, and the next day I came in on Monday, and one of the men in the church had brought me one of his old suits <laughs> to give to me, and I looked at it, and I was pretty sure it was older than I was, the suit, but the price was right, so there you go. So in preaching all these different times uh, on Easter, you know, I've had an opportunity to kind of dig in and see how you get to the resurrection from really all kinds of different passages. I mean, I think just about every passage in Scripture has a way to ultimately end up at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the signs in Scripture all the way throughout, they point to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
uh, all of the, the, the beautiful things that we hope for and we long for, that we see they're represented in Scripture, they culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. All roads lead to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the passage that we were looking at today that was read for us by Julie was uh, really a, a kind of an intimate moment when the disciples are there with Jesus and, it, and it's just, you know, before he's going to go to the cross, which has to come before the resurrection. Jesus has to go to the cross, not only just to die physically, but to atone for sin on the cross. It's a very intimate moment. Jesus knows that he's going to be experiencing this incredible hardship. And you would think that of all people in the world, it would be the disciples who would help to shoulder and bear that hardship with him, right? They've been walking with him. They know him. They spend these intimate moments with him. You would think that of all people, they would be the ones to bear, to shoulder, to walk with him through this hardship. Uh, And sadly, that's not the case at all. In fact, they, they fall away. He warns them with very careful and loving words that, that they're going to turn away. Look, look with what he says here in this passage. Let me read it to you again. He says to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And then he goes on to describe in specific detail how, in fact, his sort of number one, Peter, the, the apostle Peter, would, would fall away uh, even that very night. We've been studying the Old Testament prophet Zechariah over the last months. And what drew me to this passage in Mark is that here Jesus quotes from Zechariah. That quote where he says, um, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, comes from the book of Zechariah, which is a text written 550 years before this moment when Jesus quotes it. Now just try to get your mind around that. 550 years before this moment when Jesus quotes it to say, this is what's happening right now in this moment. That the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter. And, you know, it makes you wonder, is this yet another pathway to us achieving a deeper understanding of the resurrection? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. This book in Zechariah, in fact, there are so many scriptures, there's so many quotes from Zechariah that appear in the New Testament and help give shape and and depth and robustness and understanding to what Jesus, this incredible thing that Jesus, you could understand why the disciples, as they watched Jesus going to the cross, they just, they couldn't put it all together because this is all the threads of the whole Bible. They're coming together in this moment and there's so much richness and, and robustness and beauty and joy and heartbreak and all of it's wrapped together and they can't get their minds around it. And so many of those threads come from the book of Zechariah, which we've been studying. And here we have this beautiful quote that's going to help us to make deeper and fuller sense of the glory of the resurrection, not just in and of itself, but for the sake of our own lives. See, the resurrection wasn't just for Jesus, it's for you. It's for you. If you want to, to know something about this, you got to look at the full story. And I, I just want to kind of 
share with you what, what, what I'm going to say. We're going to dig in a little bit in some, some of these Zechariah passages, and then we'll come out of that with a, with a point. And I'm going to tell you ahead of time what the point is. Here's the point. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples in this passage that Julie read for us. It's what is there in spades in the book of Zechariah, 550 years before Jesus said these things and before they were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Um, it's a very beautiful thing. Um, basically, it's this. The beautiful thing that Jesus is doing in your life cannot be scuttled, I'm going to tell you about that word in a second, by your own failures. That's the message today from this text and from the text in Zechariah, which we're going to go back and look at it, is simply this. is The beautiful thing that Jesus is doing in your life cannot be scuttled. Now, what is that word scuttled? That word scuttled is actually like a, a nautical term that has to do with the sinking of a boat, first and foremost. When it gets filled with water, when it's too much water, it'll get scuttled and then it'll, it'll go under the water. But we use it to say, uh, in all kinds of contexts, that the plan that's supposed to happen will not be thwarted. It won't be scuttled. And the beautiful thing that Jesus Christ wants to do or is already doing in your life will not be scuttled by your own failures and sins and weaknesses and brokenness and struggles. That's what the message is from this text and from back in Zechariah. So the, 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 the response is for us then to go forward with renewed hope. And that's what I'm hoping you will take away this Easter as we, in a little while, leave this place. Um, it's spring. You know, the pandemic is, is lifting in some ways, hopefully fully. And we go out into a renewed sort of season. We should go, because of Jesus, with a renewed hope. So let's dive in. The struck shepherd and the scattered sheep. Throughout the Bible, the metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep is used to talk about God and his people um, in the same way that a shepherd leads the sheep to green pastures where they will feed or to a source of water so that they can drink. Uh, in the same way that they're nourished by their shepherd, God nourishes his people. So this is, this is the metaphor the, the figurative language that it plays itself out all throughout the scriptures. It's, you know, the famous Psalm 23, which we usually read at funerals, is actually a beautiful psalm about how God is our shepherd and cares for us in these ways. So God nourishes his people in the same way that the shepherd ensures the physical wellness of the sheep. So actually, um, in the day, you know, when you had the sheep, the shepherd would actually inspect every sheep carefully to see where there was need, where maybe there was some sort of ailment or a bug that they had gotten into their wool that needed to be addressed. And the sheep would, would care for them in that tender and that very intimate way. And, and the point is, is that God cares for you in that tender and that intimate way. He knows, he knows you by name. He knows all the things that you're going through. He knows the struggles you have. He knows your weaknesses and your, your sins, your brokenness. And yet he's still there with these loving hands to, to watch over you and nurture and, and take care of your well-being. 
In, in the same way, the shepherd protects his sheep from the predators that would come. And so you had all kinds of predators roaming around the edges of the sheep pen or wanting to get into the flock when they were out uh, moving about to go find a place of pasture or a place to drink. You had all kinds of predators there. And the job of the, sh- the shepherd, um, this is why he had the big stick, was to, to beat off those predators and protect his precious sheep. In the same way that the shepherd does that with his sheep, God does that with, with you and with me. So this is the background. This is sort of the context out of which this message in Zechariah and then in Mark comes. So back in Zechariah 12 and 13, we see a vision for how God is going to work with his people to bring about their renewal. And we'll get to the point about the scattered sheep uh, in a moment. But these chapters in Zechariah uh, have numerous anticipations of the coming of Jesus. It's quite remarkable. If you have time later this week and you want to go back and read through some of these texts, you will see all kinds of allusions to what will actually happen in the life of Jesus. And it's really stunning to see these things called out, you know, 550 years before Jesus. And then the life that he lives um, uh, brings, brings them into to, to, to kind of like HD. You know, we see them in black and white in the, in the Old Testament and then they get fulfilled in the life of Jesus. So a few examples from Zechariah. Um, Zechariah uh, talks about uh, a shepherd who is connected to God in a very special way, un- unlike anybody else, and who will be struck. Zechariah 13, 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Now, this is, this is if, if you're back in Zechariah's day, this is, this is striking language, right? Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Jesus has this unique relationship with God. We know in the New Testament, he's the son of God. He has this unique, he's the Messiah. Uh, he is God in, in the flesh. He is divine. Jesus has this unique relationship uh, with the Father, and he's struck down at the cross, marking the fulfillment of this verse back in Zechariah. Uh, God talks, another one, God talks about how he himself, this, this is quite stunning, will be pierced, and the result of that piercing will be the coming of grace and mercy. Let, let me read the text for you in Zechariah 12, 10. This is right in that same context, right before the last one I read. And I will pour out on the house of David, that's just God's people, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced. 550 years before Jesus went to the cross. On him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. And weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. I mean, you could hardly... You could hardly imagine a better description of the scene there at the cross where a few, because most of them have fallen away, a few disciples are there weeping and the mother of Jesus over the tragedy that's unfolding in front of them. And then our passage about how when the shepherd is struck, I'm I'm not going to read that from Zechariah. Uh, Jesus quoted it already in in Mark. The sheep will be scattered. Um, We've already read that one. But when Jesus quotes Zechariah chapter 13, and this this is something that's true. Whenever you see a quote of the Old Testament in the New Testament, 
it's, it's really not just even referring to that one verse. It's referring to the whole context, the whole chapter, the whole, the whole story that's unfolding in the Old Testament. And so when you go back and you look at this verse, which is quoted, Jesus quotes in the New Testament, you see this full message. And ultimately what it says is that the scattering will have a positive impact on the sheep because it will refine them. It will refine them. Right? We know this. Um, most of the lessons, the significant and important lessons that you've learned in your life have probably come out of times of difficulty and trial and struggle, right? Uh, Spurgeon said, you know, everything I learned in times of ease, he was an old preacher in the 1800s, everything I, I, I learned in times of ease, I could fit in a thimble, the little thing that you put on your thumb when you're sewing, right? Um, in other words, you, it's hard to learn things except in moments of difficulty and refinement and, and struggle. And, and what, what the passage in Zechariah says is that this scattering that's going to take place is going to result in a refinement of those disciples and of the people of God and of us. So that's the, that's the thread. In fact, let me, let me pull out. Here's the, here's the punchline. And, you know, we've been in a moment of, we've been in this pandemic season. We've been in, in, in a time when there's been a lot of scattering, a lot of forces pressing us away from one another and to, from God in some respects. And so scattering is familiar to us. But what the text is saying is, is this beautiful. And this is sort of the punchline from Zechariah 13. That after that time of refining, these people that are precious to God are regathered. They're regathered. And look, what the, look at the beautiful language that comes at the very end of Zechariah chapter 13. And we'll put it up. Zechariah 13, 9. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. So that's the thumbnail of what's in Zechariah. Now fast forward 550 years and see how these promises come to life in the life of Jesus Christ and Lord willing in your life as well this morning and mine as we gather around this text. Jesus Christ understands himself to be God's shepherd and specially united with God. So he says, for example, in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. So you see, there you see, there you see the words in Zechariah finding their fulfillment. They come into HD, high definition color and clarity in the person of Jesus Christ. And John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is pierced as he endures the death that will bring grace and mercy. John 19, 34, but one of the soldiers, this is, this is the scene when Jesus is on the cross, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And grace and, and mercy, that's kind of the whole point of the cross. I mean, that's the whole summation of all of what God is accomplishing. He is he is enabling it so that grace can be given to people 
who are sinners and have separated themselves from God by their sin. God can't be in that sort of close connection with sin. And we wouldn't want that to be the case. But when it comes to the new heaven and the new earth someday, we don't want there to be sin. We want, we want there to be a perfect place. We, want, we can imagine a world where all the causes of sin have been rooted out. We don't want that to be infected. But that means somebody has to deal with our sin before we can be fully reconciled to God. And that's what Jesus is doing on the cross. And that's what we call grace and mercy being poured out upon us, being poured out upon you. He says this verse uh, to the disciples that when he is struck, they will scatter. And they they totally do. Um, That scene with Jesus hanging on the cross, it's like nobody's hardly there from his followers. And we'll, we'll look at one specific example of this in a moment. Uh, And then this, and this is again the key point. I want you to sit with this. That he regathers them after they have been scattered. That's what Mark 14 says. Uh, This this might have gone by you quickly. So so catch this. That basically um, he says to them. He says to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. In other words, we'll meet again, even though you have fallen away. So right now we're identifying the simple pattern. One who is especially united with God is pierced. He brings grace and mercy. His disciples fall away and are scattered. And then he lovingly and powerfully regathers them. In other words, the point we're making, his plans for them are not scuttled. By, they're not destroyed, they're not sidelined by their own failures. And this is really the archetype of how God relates to us and intends to be in relationship with us. And it's such an important element of the way that we connect with God, not only in the initial phase of our coming to a relationship with God through faith, but in the ongoing, the day-to-day, how we deal with pandemics, how we deal with being scattered from each other and maybe scattered from the Lord. Um, it's critical that we understand the way that God relates to us, that there is this tendency because of sin for us to fall away, but that God in his love, his covenant embrace of us holds us close to him nonetheless. Commenting on this passage um, in Mark 14, uh, James Edward, who who wrote a commentary uh, on the book of Mark, he says this, um, and you'll see where I get the word scuttle here. He says, the kingdom of God that Jesus brings and embodies cannot be scuttled by human failure. He who first called the apostolic band at the Sea of Galilee will again call and reestablish them at the Sea of Galilee. So remember he says to them, the sheep will be scattered, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And, and, and you just imagine those disciples seeing this intimate moment with Jesus and they're like, what is happening? You're, what? You're dying? No, you, you're, just, you're just using, figure. you're not gonna really die, are you? And then wait, you're, you're raised up? What does that mean? What they did know, however, is that the Sea of Galilee was a place of sweetness to them. This was the place where they were first called 
to walk with Jesus, to, sh- to know Jesus, to share their life with Jesus. The Sea of Galilee, Galilee was the place where they saw fruitful ministry. Jesus was going around and healing and teaching and their minds were being blown and it was like nothing they've ever experienced before, the region around the Sea of Galilee. And here in this moment, now they're in Jerusalem, which is way to the south of the Sea of Galilee and everything's hard and painful and difficult and they're feeling hopeless because their master is talking about these these things they don't want to hear about going to die and, and how he's, you know, it's going to be this painful death. And he says, I'm going to meet you in the, in the Sea of Galilee. So the first call uh, at the Sea of Galilee, this lake region in the northern part of Israel, happens in the beginning of, of the, the Gospel of Mark. Mark 1.16. Um, this, is, this is that Galilee part one where the, the, the followers of Jesus first experienced Jesus there at the Sea of Galilee. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Jesus, saw Simon. Remember, Simon is the one who would later be called Peter by Jesus. He was sort of Jesus' number one. Uh, it was upon him that the church would be, would be built. Um, and so uh, Simon was Peter and Andrew, his brother, uh, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, they were, for, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So Galilee is where they had their first joy with Jesus. They got off the boats. They started walking around with him. They saw people being healed. They saw their lives being transformed. They saw all the deep uh, abiding questions they'd grappled with throughout their entire existence this f- thus far being answered in the person of Jesus. They found meaning and purpose in their lives. It was beautiful. Put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. If you're on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus walking by today, that, that's sort of the point of his call. For you to understand that he's given up his life for you to atone for your sin so that he can bring you to God. <laughs> that's what he wants to do today for you. And the Bible teaches us that the appropriate, the natural, the reasonable response to that opportunity is to place our faith, is to respond in faith, to, to simply to, to, to look at Jesus and say, yes, I believe what you say about who you are and what you've done. And I, I believe it for me. And so I, I just want to be really clear on this Easter morning that for some of you who might be in this first visit to Galilee, that this could be a very special, special day for you. In which you finally and and fully place your faith in Jesus Christ. This could be your Galilee part one. And it will be a beautiful day that you never forget. And if you're saying, how do I do that? You just, right now, wherever you are, you just say, in your, in your mind, the Lord can see that. He can hear that. You say, yes, Lord. I want you to bring me to God, the Father. I, I want you to bring me to yourself, ultimately. I put my faith in you. 
as my Savior, the one who went to the cross and atoned for my sin, and my Lord, the one after whom I want to pattern my entire life and uh, the one uh, to whom I want to submit my entire life. Um, this is the simple response of faith. And if you're doing that right now in your heart, in your mind, God is hearing you and he's saying, yes, my child. He's saying, yes, you are mine. You are my sheep and I will not let you go. So some of you maybe need to go to Galilee part one today. And some of us need Galilee part two today. Some of us need Galilee part two. This is when Jesus meets us back in Galilee after his death, after we have fallen away, and after his resurrection. And again, the story of Peter instructs us, you know, um, Peter's the disciple that we see fall away sort of in real time in the Gospels. Um, Jesus says that he would deny him three times, and then we read forward, and in fact that happens uh, as Jesus is on trial. Peter's standing around a fire with a bunch of people there in Jerusalem, and they say, aren't you the one that was with Jesus? And he goes, no, no, not me. I wasn't with Jesus. And, and like three times this happens, you know, and, and then the rooster crows, and he's like, oh, it's exactly as Jesus said. And he's so, so zealous, he said, I'll never fall away, right? I'm not going to fall and then right afterwards, he falls away. I love, and this is in the book of Mark, which, which is really the chronicle of Peter's teaching. So this is Peter telling us his own story. Isn't that beautiful? Why? Because he doesn't care if he looks like a fool. Because he wants God to get the glory. And God does. You're going to see how. And maybe some of us can relate to Peter because in this pandemic moment and in this sort of societal deconstruction moment, which you know, we're sort of tearing everything apart and questioning everything, which is part of this refining process, and it's, it's hard. But meet me in Galilee. Come on back to Galilee. Come on back to your first love, the place where we first met, the place where we encountered one another, and you saw the beauty of the gospel. You saw the gospel of the kingdom unfolding before your lives. It was Galilee part two moment. And just like when Peter denied so let's, let's look briefly at, at Peter's, and then we'll finish up, at Peter's Galilee 2 moment. Because it's so poignant and sweet and beautiful, I want, you to, I want you to see it. So just like when Peter denied Jesus, there was a fire and there was people standing around. Uh, and it happened three times. And we go to the end of the Gospel of John, and we see this beautiful moment. Uh, like in HD, how... Jesus restores, he, he gathers Peter back to himself. And this is what he wants to do with you this morning if you feel like you've fallen away. And it, we all have, right? Because we're sinful people and we, we don't live according to the way Jesus has called us to. We forget him. We've all, and so we all need this message, this Galilee 2 message. Um, just skip the slides. Don't, don't put them up for this. I'm just going to read part of it. I'm going to explain part of it. So after Jesus' resurrection, they go back up to Galilee they're not sure what to do, and Peter's out uh, fishing on the boat. They've been out all night. They haven't caught anything, um, and, and then this person is walking along the shore, and uh, he says to them, children, have you caught anything? And they say, no, we've been fishing all night. You haven't caught anything, and so he, throw, he says, well, throw your nets on the other side. So they throw their nets on the other side, and this haul of fish is so big, it almost scuttles the boat. It's so big because it, it just comes on and, they, and, and, and then one of the disciples says, oh, it's Jesus. 
And then the other one, Peter, who's always impetuous, you know, puts on his robe and jumps in the water and swims to shore because he wants to see Jesus right now. And he can't wait. And they get some fish out and Jesus builds a fire. And this is what happens. Verse 9. I'm just going to read it. Don't put the slides up. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. So just like there was a fire when he denied him, now there's a fire. With fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And then listen to this, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, the one who we saw deny him in in real time, who'd fallen away. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Jesus did, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Why are you asking me three times? And then I just imagined it dawned on him. Because I denied you three times. And this is you regathering me to yourself. And in that moment, Peter knew a kind of a love maybe he'd never known before. And maybe this morning you need to be reminded of the way that Jesus loves you. And wants to regather you to himself and to his people. Have you fallen away? Of course you have. We all have on some level. We all do. It's human nature and it's been a difficult season and there's scattering forces and there's a tendency to say, well, I might as well just go fishing. But Jesus is saying, you can't scuttle my plans for you. My death and my resurrection hold you in communion with me. So let's go forward my child, Jesus says. I love how he calls them children. My child, let's go forward in hope. So whether uh, you are on Galilee part one or Galilee part two, today Jesus is inviting you into communion with him. Into his grace, into his mercy. He's calling you out of those futile nights of life when you don't catch anything and it seems purposeless and meaningless. He's calling you into a life of purpose and meaning. And he's calling you by his grace. So let's receive it. In Christ's name, amen.